this past week, uh, we will remember for the rest of our lives when the U.S. Supreme Court made a very significant decision that will change the moral landscape of our country. They decided in a 5-4 decision to legalize gay marriage in all 50 states, going against God's plan. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his mother and his whole fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Our nation has spit in the face of God to establish this institution and will only experience pain because of it. When you think about uh, kids uh, growing up in this culture, grandkids, and at some point, you know, being the textbooks, and hey, you got a choice. You can be a heterosexual, a homosexual, uh, transgender. But I, you know, kids are confused enough about sex. And unfortunately, our nation is stepping away from God, and therefore we will experience uh, the discipline of God. Once you change the definition of marriage, it's like a slippery slope. As I was reading over some of the dissenting opinions they were talking about, you know, why not polygamy? Why not, right? And if you're going to change it, you really open the door to a lot of different things. And it really is going to break down the fabric of our society. I know people are saying that this is a sign of the last times. You see in Luke 17... Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Sodom and Gomorrah had embraced homosexuality and many other types of sins, and it was destroyed because of it. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So we're one step closer to when Jesus Christ returns. And we don't know He's going to return 25 years, 50 years, tomorrow. So we always need to be ready. Be ready for His coming. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this decision? Well, first of all, we pray. We pray. We come before God and pray for our country, pray for repentance, pray for revival, and then we pray for other people we know who have gender issues, and we pray that they would experience the love of God and that their hearts would be open to find Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The second thing you need to do is you need to study the issue I put down a URL here to John Piper's site, Desiring God, and he's got some tremendous resources on this issue. Uh, if you just look through his resources, uh, you'll have enough. They really have a uh, grab on what uh, the information is. And also, back in March 16th of 2013, I preached a message on same-sex marriage. So you can go to our Website, and it's March 16th, 2013. It's called The Truth About 
same-sex marriage. Well, we're continuing today in our study of James. And as I thought about it, we're talking about submission to God. Uh, that topic fits right in because our, our nation has chose not to submit to God. And it uh, will be sad when... When, the, when we see the results. Well, let's, let me uh, read uh, James 4 through 10. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So we look in James 4, 7a. Submit yourselves therefore to God. The word submit is the word of obedience. Uh, the word of obeying. It's the same word that was used of Jesus obeying His parents and Paul saying you need to obey the government, it's a military mean uh, term, and it means to rank under, to rank under. And friends, uh, when we talk about submitting to God, that really is the whole Christian life, right? We used to submit to the devil when we didn't know Jesus, when we were part of his kingdom, the prince of darkness, but now we put God on the throne of our lives and make him Lord. And submit to all that he says. And of course, it's not easy, is it? That's why, of course, that he's enabled us supernaturally to do things uh, that we couldn't do before. The challenge of, of making God Lord of your life, uh, the challenge of submitting to him is that uh, we're all born uh, with a, a selfish streak. You see a little picture of a little baby here? Cute little guy. But there's a little monster in him. Okay? There is a monster. Right? It's all about him. You've got to serve him, love him, take care of all his needs. And if that baby is not properly raised and taught godly morals and trained in Christian living, that kid is going to be a wreck, right? All about him, and he'll be hurting all types of people. And, of course, there's a lot of people that never grew out of that stage, never learned how to control those desires. It's all about me, and I want what I want. Well, we need to be aware of this, that we have been born with a sinful nature. nature it's just anti-authoritarian. Uh, remember the little kid who was... Uh, uh, not sitting down like his mom told him to do. And so she disciplined him, and he finally sat down. And what did he say? I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> we're all like that sometimes, right? And we fall into that sin of uh, we're obeying God, but we're doing it with uh, bad motives, grudgingly. And God wants us. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to come to His throne room with a, a joyful spirit. What a privilege it is to spend time with our Maker. Now, this issue of pride is, is a key issue. Every sin results from pride. Every sin is saying, I don't want to do it way, your way, God. I want to do it my way. It's interesting the research that's been done on how people inflate their good qualities. Uh, psychologists call this state of illusory superiority. It simply means that we tend to inflate our positive qualities and abilities, especially in comparison to other people. For example, researchers asked, researchers asked a million high school students how well they got along with their peers. Now, none of the students said they were below average. <laughs> See, this is why the teenage years are, are high, because that sinful nature is really, you know, taking flight. And uh, therefore, they think, of course, that they know everything. And, but uh, so nobody said, I'm bad uh, with peer relationships. As a matter of fact, 60% of students believed they were in the top 10%. <laughs> and 25% rated themselves in the top 1%. These kids are great. They're unbelievable in relationships. <laughs> and how you think the faculty would do better. The professors are supposed to have some wisdom, knowledge, lived a long time. And, and they were asked the same question about relating to peers. And 2% themselves below average. Finally, somebody's honest here. <laughs> but 10% were average. And 63% were above average, while 25% rated themselves as truly exceptional. Friends, we have prideful hearts that assume that we're much more gifted, talented, loving, whatever it might be, than other people. We're special. The one thing you have to wrestle with, being a Christ follower, is your average. The average. Oh, I, I got straight A's. Oh, good for you. But you're average. And we don't like that word. I'm not. I work hard to stand out. That's good. But until you realize that you are just another average person on this earth, you will never be able to submit to God. Because that's humility when you say, God, I don't know why you chose me, but I'm here. Nothing special about me, but I, I'm just going to humbly follow your lead. That is what builds a heart of submission. It's interesting, in uh, December 2013 issue of uh, GQ, uh, we had the man of the year, Matthew McConaughey. Let's see what he said about himself. Go on the next slide. I'm a fan of this world, 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 uh, word selfish, selfish. When I say I have gotten a lot more selfish, I mean I am less concerned with what people think of me. Selfish has gotten a bad rap. You should do for you. That's a great worldview, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, come on. Now in the same magazine, I have a man named George Saunders, who was the 
Life Coach of the Year, a fictional writer, and this is what he said. The big kahuna of all moral questions, as far as I'm concerned, is ego. How do you correct the fundamental misperception that we are all born, namely with the idea that I am central? All the nasty stuff in this life comes out of that misunderstanding. Somebody's speaking biblical truth and doesn't even realize it. (laughs) But the answer is, of course, because we're born with a sinful nature. We're born to be selfish. We're born to think that other people should serve me and all my needs uh, should be met. What you have to do when you submit to God is you have to give up the throne in your life. You have a throne in your life. And uh, you like to sit on it. You like to be in control. You like to call the shots. Well, in humility, you need to trust God and get off the throne and put God on the throne. And no matter what happens in your life, no matter what challenges, what suffering you go through, you can trust in the goodness of God. Oh, wait a second here. I... You don't know what I've been through. You can trust in the goodness of God. Remember, we're just wandering through this place. We're going to our heavenly home someday. And yeah, there's a lot of pain. But the important thing to remember is that God always wants the best for us, even when it doesn't seem that way. And and you can see how... uh, People are not submitting to God by their attitude toward other people, especially people in authority. Now, teenagers who do not obey their parents, they rebel against their parents, they are driven by their selfishness. Or the wife who's nagging and cantankerous, uh, she is driven by her selfishness. Or the husband who's angry, hypercritical, and demanding, he's driven by selfishness. So I really want to encourage you this week is to take some time with God and ask Him to point out the sin in your life, the selfishness in your life in regards to your wife or your friend or your kids or people at work and ask Him uh, to work in you to change that attitude. So how are we going to submit Now, there's three commands that James gives. Resist the devil. In James 4, 7, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I mean, the the devil's the second most powerful being uh, in the world. He's like down here in God's way, up there. But he's still, he's dangerous. And we can resist him. We can make him run away. Yes, we can. But we've got to continue to stay close to God. To resist means uh, to stand against, to to oppose. So the idea is not that you're attacking Satan. It's that you're standing firm against the opposition. You are not moving. You are not going to be tempted by Satan. He is not going to influence uh, your life. And of course, as you know, (laughs) Satan is always whispering uh, in our ears. (laughs) 
about, you should really do that for yourself. And look at the Garden of Eden, right? Eat. Eat the fruit. It will make you like God. He is the father of lies, the Bible says. And he is lying to all of us right now in some area of our life. And so we need to pray God that he would reveal, God would reveal that area. And you should also ask your spouse. <laughs> She'll give you some more direct feedback. Or he. Yeah, we need to resist the devil and stand strong. Remember, who is defeated at the cross? The devil. Right? Who is the loser? The devil. Who has all power taken away from him? The devil. But he's still the prince of this world. So therefore, we have to wake up every morning realizing that we are in a spiritual battle. I just encourage you to continue to pray over your children, over other people that you care about. And there's all their physical needs. They might be sick or something, but pray for protection against Satan's temptations. That's one of the strongest prayers uh, you can pray. And pray for our church. Uh, We we would would encourage you to become part of our uh, summer prayer team. Uh, You'll get a text every day. Uh, We'll prompt you to pray. Uh, We'll also ask you to pray 30 minutes at home this summer, Uh, or 30 minutes a week, that is. And it's going to be five minutes a day, whatever. But friends, we need prayer. God is testing us, and, and we need to lean into Him and say, God, show us the way. Show us what you want to do through us. So every Wednesday night this summer, we're having a prayer meeting. And again, uh, come when you can. Come when you can. But it's always just fun. You know, we walk around the church and pray, and you don't have to pray out loud. But please come out, because God notices when you're there. Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That's after the description of the armor of God. And again, the point is, is that you're average, and you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You need to depend upon God's resources to resist. The devil. In fact, starting next week, we're doing a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, We have the reality of spiritual warfare by Dr. Fred Dickinson. Now, he is a retired professor from Moody Bible Institute. He's written a lot of books on angelology and demonology. uh, So he's he's an expert. Uh, So really make it a priority uh, to try to be here. So the reality of spiritual warfare, the resources of spiritual warfare, and then insights into spiritual warfare, our favorite, Dr. Lou's coming. And I'm sure he has some great stories. And, uh, and then the armor of God. Pastor Justin will be teaching you how to put on the armor of God every day. So I encourage you uh, to come and be with us. So the first thing we do, first thing we do in becoming submissive is we resist the devil. The second thing is we draw near to God. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Drawing near to God was in the Old Testament a general expression of the one who sincerely approached God in penance and humility. 
It's interesting, there, there are many things that distinguish Christianity from other religions, and this is one of the most important ones, is that God wants to have a personal relationship with us. You don't, you don't find other gods doing that out there, right? He wants to help us. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to get to know Him better. And the wonderful thing is that we can experience intimacy with God. Remember with worship-based prayer, we say seeking first the face of God and then His hand. The primary reason for prayer is for you to step into the presence of God and experience Him and listen to Him and uh, just drink Him in and realize who He is. Because, again, in order for us to understand who we are and where we fit in God's system. We've got to dwell on our big God. Theodore Roosevelt, I love the outdoors, and of course uh, founded some of the national parks and other monuments. And he said in his first inaugural address, I reverently invoke for my guidance the direction and favor of the Almighty God. Now, when he had diplomats over uh, for dinner, political leaders from around the country. At night, what he'd do is he'd go out on the White House lawn and uh, he would look up into uh, the sky. He told everybody to come out. The whole party came out. And back in that day, you could see more than you can see today. And they'd just stand there looking at the stars and feeding off of God's creation, amazed what God is put in the sky. And then he, said, then he would say, Gentlemen, I believe we are small enough now. Let's go to bed. <laughs> Gentlemen, I believe we are small enough now. Let's go to bed. So here's these politicians who think that they own the world. And Teddy takes them out in the backyard and says, We're nothing. <laughs> God is the creator, right? I wish our presidents would do that today. Again, and, and that's what we need. Uh, some of you are too big for your britches, okay? I'm too big for my literal britches as well as my spiritual britches, britches right? Again, the, you always want to view yourself in the most positive way, just as we've shown and again, that's going to lead to pride. You need to go the other direction, not like a self-hatred or anything like that, but just, hey, I'm God's servant, and that's all I need is just to walk with Him and uh, tell other people about Him and enjoy that relationship time. And, of course, the way you do that is through quiet time with God, your time alone with God, of just getting alone with God and first experiencing Him, you know, praying through Scripture, playing worship music. First, understand who God is, and then, of course, you tell Him yours and others' needs in their life. In fact, in the reveal study done by Willow Creek, they they found that for every part of the Christian life, whether it be a new Christian or mature Christian, the most critical element, the key growth, was from time alone with God. All across the board. That's why we talk about it so much. 
Because you need to do it on a daily basis. Psalm 27:14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's hard for us to wait, isn't it? I love my Amazon Prime. Man, two days? Two days? I, I, I've gotten used to it. I've got to thank God for it again. Uh, <laughs> we got all these fast food places. I don't know about you, but I was very disturbed when they put a drive through at Panera Bread. Weren't you disturbed? That is destination dining. You don't go there to get a bag of food. You go there to experience a wonderful place called Panera. And all of us, you know, We'll go to the, the drive-thru. I, I, I can't understand why people wait in a drive-thru for Panera. I mean, they wait forever. But go to a drive-thru, and uh, again, we, we, we want something right away. But God's inside Panera, all right? You just think you're going to pick up a little bit of God? No, you've got to get out of your car if you can find a parking place, uh, place and you've got to go into Panera. You've got to get some coffee and sit down. And spend time with God. That's how you build a heart of humility. A beautiful, beautiful thing. What people are working out in public is an overflow of what they're doing in private. Now, you came to this worship gathering this morning. I'm so glad uh, that you did. But again, to the degree that you experience the presence of God and God talking to you is based upon your personal time alone with God. Okay? So if you have a strong walk with God and you're communicating with Him and worshiping Him and loving Him, you're going to come here. You're going to come here. It doesn't matter what the music is or the message is boring. You're going to come to worship. You realize that, don't you? We're not consumers here. We are told, we're, we're commanded to be in worship. Yeah, that's what God says. We come here to worship Him, not to get stuff. And He always gives it to us, but at the same time, that's the whole purpose. And the idea is that the more your time with God is deep and, and you, you sense you're getting to know Him and trust Him, You'll come to any service and you'll rejoice because you're the worshiper, right? So important to understand. Well, we need to draw near to God. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I mean, to be disciplined with your time alone with God is very challenging. Uh, But keep working at it. Have someone keep you accountable for it because you've really got to seek Him. God's not saying, hey, just ask and I'll toss it down to you. No, you've got to seek me and you've got to find me. Why does He do that? Because He knows that we're so self-centered, that we need to be drawn and we need to work and make God the one who's on the throne of our lives. 
Uh, the third command here is cleanse yourself. James 4.8. In order to be able to submit to God, you want to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The idea of cleansing of hands. Again, you've got to remember that all of the New Testament writers, the Bible was the Old Testament for them. The New Testament wasn't around, right? So that's why you find so many things out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because they're studying their Bible and uh, certain people are getting fresh revelation from God that they're writing down, uh, which will end up in the New Testament. But again, in the Old Testament, when the priests came into the tabernacle, they had to wash their hands. And and when it says wash your hands, it means actually washing your soul of sin. You've got to wash every day, every day. In fact, there was uh, Dan and Chip Heath, and they wrote the book, Made to Stick. And they came across one doctor who had gone on a cruise, and the crew of the cruise did a better job of washing their hands than his own staff. <laughs> so that really got him going. You know, frequent hand washing is very critical because of bacteria infections. So he and his colleagues, they tried to, different ways to get people to wash their hands because uh, they were going to be, um, uh, a group was going to come in and evaluate them. And they had to be at 90% of people washing their hands. And they were like at 80%. So this is what happened. One day, a committee of 20 doctors and administrators were taken by surprise when after lunch, the hospital just asked them to press their hands into an auger plate. A sterile Petri dish contained a growth medium. The auger plates were sent to the lab to be cultured and photographed. The photos revealed what wasn't visible to the naked eye. The doctor's hands were covered with gobs of bacteria. Imagine being one of those doctors and realizing that your own hands, the same hands that would examine a patient later in the day, not to mention the same hands that you used to eat a turkey wrap, uh, were harboring an army of microorganisms. It was revolting. One of the filthiest images in this portfolio was made into a screensaver for the hospital's network of computers, ensuring that everyone on staff would share in the horror. Suddenly... Hand hygiene compliance rose to nearly 100% and stayed there. <laughs> so true of us. You might look at, oh, no problem with that hand. But look, look, look a little closer. Read God's Word more and He'll continue to point out all the different sins in your life. And you'll be encouraged and and you'll have a desire to, to get that out of your life because you want to shine for Jesus Christ. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, we all tend to think, uh, I'm not as bad as everybody thinks, but you're probably worse than you think you are. It's just our prideful natures. James 4, 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, there's a pick-me-up verse. Yes, sir, I'm going to have that out whenever I get down, and I'll get more down. What is he saying? He's basically saying that you need to mourn and weep and 
experience gloom because of the sin that you're committing. The same sin that you were laughing at or enjoying. You've got to turn it around. You've got to repent and go the other direction. Right? You think about what's on the Internet, what's on the TV, what's shown in the movies. That, that, that is an area that we as Christ followers really need to pray about. Because so many times... Uh, we'll just kind of adapt to the culture. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. No. I always look up the swear words in movies. <laughs> the F words are... <laughs> they went at 500 of them. Now, that's not a movie you should be seeing. Right? So we've got to wash our hands. We've got to, again, mourn and weep over our sin. And we need to uh, turn our joy into gloom. We also need to purify... Our hearts. We need to come regularly to God and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. First Peter one twenty two, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And friends, we live in a cesspool of sin here in the United States. It's just a cesspool. So therefore, if you have to walk through that cesspool every day, media, friends, whatever, you're always going to need to purify your heart. Because you're not perfect. And you can be easily influenced by others, more easily than you think. So again, we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to to show us where we need uh, to uh, submit. Uh, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Isn't that a wonderful, proud, uh, wonderful verse? In fact, in James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace. Okay? And again, the more you really let God into your heart, the more you're going to realize how much you need Him, that you can't go a day uh, without Him. Nick Walenda is a Christ follower, a daredevil, and of course he was the one who went across Niagara Falls in 2013. Uh, he uh, is an, a wire artist and a daredevil. And what he knows is that he can be tempted by the adoration of the crowds. So this is what he does after each performance. What he'll do is he'll spend about three hours picking up trash. And that's to, again, help him to be humble. He says, my purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind, and I feel compelled to pitch in. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me. So, see, he's recognizing his weakness. We need to know our weakness, right? And then we need to find out a way where we can, again, become stronger in that area. So if you have a force, he says, myself, if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way to keep from tripping. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I see him washing the feet of others. I do, not, I do it because if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. 
take a moment and just reflect on this passage. Uh, I just want you to ask God, you know, where is my weak area? Where, what's the area I want to control? What's the area that uh, I, I struggle with pride the most? After you've done that, then confess that. Say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to be more like you. I pray that you would guide me in how I can shore up this area in my life, just like Nick Walenda picking up garbage. What can I do to always keep things in perspective that you are my Lord and my God and I want to submit to you in every area of my life. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, guys, we're going to have a membership welcome at this time. So if I could have those members come up, and uh, we're going to welcome them into our congregation. Membership is so important. Yeah, it's it's a commitment to a, a body of believers, and I think it's biblical. I mean, those of you a member of a church, and in our day, of course, there's ways of making becoming members, and uh, I would encourage you if you haven't to become a member. Roger discovering Springbrook uh, Seminar, but we have uh, Dee Brock and Rick uh, Perry. Uh, Dee, seven years. All right. Uh, on the first impression greeting team, involved in small groups, and has helped with BBS. And uh, it's just been beautiful to see how you've grown over the years, you know, as God has allowed trials into your life, you know. I mean, you're a walking, uh, walking model for us. And, uh, and Rick, he's been here four years as well, and he's in small groups and the facilities team. So we appreciate that. want to welcome you. The Springbrook in a sense of membership, and we love you. Let's give him a hand. All right, guys. Well, go out and glorify God today.